0: I'm going to be preaching on a text that I've been preaching a lot in the last couple of months, and I had entitled this sermon before, things that Jesus condemns and things that he commends, but I have another title tonight because I just keep getting revelation from this text, but right, I keep getting revelation from Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from the book of revelation but it's how jesus sees things in the new testament that's what i wrote at the top of my page you can write that down how jesus see things sees things in the new testament the reason why that's important is several weeks ago how many of y'all went to our church retreat in galveston a I minute mean, some of you guys went that was a great time but as i was preparing for that retreat i was in a time of prayer for several days i was asking the lord lord what do you what do you want me to preach on and it was so clear Out of my spirit, the Lord just spoke to me so clearly, and he said, I want you to go through the seven letters that Jesus wrote in Revelation 2 and 3, and I want you to highlight the things that he commends, and I want you to highlight the things that he condemns. The reason that that is important is because when you begin to read some of these things, you're going to see that Jesus commends several things that are pretty opposite to the Christian culture today. You you know, the idea, I'll say, that, say it like this, the, the picture or the person that people think that they know, the idea that people have about Jesus is very different than who he reveals himself to be and how he reveals himself, specifically in these seven letters. And it'll make more sense to you as we go through the text, but there's also things that Jesus condemns. And I want to look at that because the Lord put it in my spirit and said that we're in an hour, we're in an hour where there's many people that claim that name, but they don't know the person behind the name. Come on, somebody. So I'm going to challenge you as we read through this. This is New Testament. This is New Covenant. This is under the blood. This is after Calvary. And in fact, this is Jesus speaking to seven literal churches in the first century. So if your New Testament theology... Does it line up with some of the things that we may read? I'm going to challenge you that your theology is mixed up. Amen? So, and also, so the Lord told me that. That was a while back. And then we go to Dr. Rodney's. Several weeks later, weeks after we went on our church retreat, and what do we hear him preaching about? One of the two nights, he says, flip your Bible open to Revelation chapter 2. And he starts talking about Seven letters, different letters written to the different churches. I tuned into a mighty man of God, evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth recently. He's in Hobbs, New Mexico, preaching, and, and, and he says, he starts preaching about the letter written to the church of Laodicea, and that just blows my mind. I'm looking around, and I'm like, wow, all of these people are hitting on the same thing right now. What does that tell you? Although it's different people, it's the same spirit. It's one spirit. Say one spirit. And obviously, it's a message that God's trying to get to people right now. Amen. So let's begin to read it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Don't sound too excited back there. (laughs) Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks amongst the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Okay, Jesus is speaking this to the church in Ephesus. Say Ephesus. That's the same church that Paul wrote to where we get the book of Ephesians. Amen. So the Lord actually began to challenge me. He said, you should read this alongside with Ephesians because this is a letter. Ephesians was Paul's book or the Holy Ghost's book to the Ephesian church through Paul, but this in Revelation chapter two is Jesus Christ's letter to the Ephesians church, uh, the Ephesian church through the apostle John. Okay, so go back up to verse two. We're gonna go verse by verse through some of this here. It says, I know all the things that you do. If you have a highlighter, highlight that verse right there. I see all the things that you do, I know all the things that you do. Brother James actually brought this revelation out after the Galveston trip, and he shared it with me, and I thought, I called him today, and I said, man, that was so good, can I steal that from you? And he said, well, it ain't mine, the Lord gave it to me, so absolutely, have at it. But it was really good, this is what he said, and it's true, that there is a doctrine that's floating around that God doesn't see it when we sin. I don't know how involved you are in the church as a whole, in doctrine as a whole, but there's this revelation floating around that God doesn't see it when we sin. In fact, it's kind of taught like this, that the Father just sits in heaven and he puts these Jesus glasses on, and that all he ever sees is the Jesus glasses, that he never sees anything that we do. He never sees anything bad that we do. And if we ever do anything bad, it's, God's just completely oblivious to it because he sees us through these Jesus glasses. Has anybody ever heard anything like that? I'm sure a lot of you have heard that. But is that what the Bible says? Look at Revelation 2-2. I'm going to just go through rapid fire some scriptures here. Jesus said in Revelation 2-2, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Okay, that's on the positive side. God sees all the things that we do positively. Amen. God sees our hard work. That's great. Revelation 2-19, I know all the things that you do. In fact, you're going to see this. Jesus said to every single church, I know all the things that you've do. I've seen your love. I've seen your faith. I've seen your service. I've seen your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Look at Revelation two twenty three. So not only does God see the positive things that we do, but look at this. He said, this was speaking about this false prophet, Jezebel. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, he actually condemns one of the churches. Jesus said, you have allowed that false prophet, that woman, Jezebel, to run around and deceive people. And then he goes on to say, I have given her time to repent. And I'll paraphrase here, but she wouldn't repent. So this is what Jesus said. Say, Jesus. This is the side of Jesus that people don't understand. Is God a loving God? Yes, he is. Is he a God full of grace and mercy? Yes, he is. But I'm telling you, you need to hear both sides of the coin. I actually heard a great man of God say it like this. You know, people are only presented one side of of God. And if they would have heard the other side, it would have changed their approach in some areas. Can you imagine if you went to go buy a vehicle and, and all you heard You know, and it's not like the the grace and the mercy and the love is a lie. It's not a lie. It's true. But can you imagine somebody selling a car where they told you, yeah, it's a 2012. It's got leather seats. It's got this feature. It's got the navigation. and, And they told you all these things that were true. But when you went to go pick up the car, they forgot to tell you that the engine didn't run. Right? That would be pretty important to know. Because if you would have known that, that would have approached your entire that would have changed your entire approach to the to the situation. Right? Look what Jesus said to this prophet, this woman that was going around falsely prophesying, I will strike her children dead. Man, that don't really sound like the Jesus a lot of people know. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. What did he say? All the heathen will know? No, all the churches will know. Do you know that whenever God struck down, say judgment. People don't understand. There is judgment even in the new covenant under the blood of Jesus in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira were stricken down because they lied to the Holy Ghost. That wasn't for the heathen's sake. In fact, it was actually a warning to the church. When Ananias and Sapphira were stricken down, it wasn't a warning to the heathen. It was a warning to the church that my bride must be holy. Amen. And the Bible goes on to say that a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast spreads and permeates the entire batch of dough. Why did God have to strike down Ananias and Sapphira? Because the church was being birthed, and the church, in the time of it being birthed, it had to remain pure, it had to remain holy. And so up front, the Lord had to deal with it because it hadn't gone on, people hadn't, you know, they didn't even have the word, the whole New Testament at this point. They were living in the New Testament. They were living the book of Acts. They didn't have the book of Acts to read back, right? So the Lord dealt with them specifically. He says this, the church, say the church, will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each person whatever you deserve. How does that work if God just sees everyone through Jesus' goggles all the time, and he doesn't see what you do if you do it bad? If you're you're living in sin, he just doesn't see it. He's oblivious to all of that. Go on to Revelation 3, 1 through 2. I know all the things that you do, and you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Well, if the Lord just saw everything through Jesus' goggles, then he wouldn't have seen that they were dead. He wouldn't have seen that they were backslidden. His only report would have been, you're great, you're wonderful, and you're perfect just like Jesus Christ is perfect. But is that what he said? No, he said, I know the things that you do. Obviously, God sees the things that we do, whether good or bad, and will be rewarded according to what we do. You will be given to each whatever you deserve. He said, wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. And I find, look at this, look what Jesus said, I find that your actions do not meet the requirement of my God. Say actions. And we're being taught of faith that your actions have no part to play and your walk with God. Your conduct and your actions don't matter. The only thing that matters is a one-time confession of faith, and I'm going to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell that's going to deceive people and cause them to be snatched away and depart from the true faith. Jesus is talking to a church. And saying your actions don't meet the requirements while well, apparently God, even under the blood in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, has requirements for believers to meet. Did you know this? I say it to me, I'll say it to you. There, say, there are requirements of the Lord that I must meet. Revelation 3, 8, I know all the things that you do, and I open a door for you that no one can close. Though you have little strength, you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. There you go. Again, he saw it on the positive side. But look at this, Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. 2 Corinthians 5:10 through 11. Paul said, "For we must stand, Paul the great apostle of grace to the Gentiles, said, we must stand before Christ to be judged." We will each receive whatever we deserve. Isn't that what Jesus said? I know the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to them whatever they deserve. Paul's saying the same thing. We will. They will each receive whatever they deserve for the good, say the good, or evil, say or evil, that we have done in this earthly body. Verse 11, because we understand are fearful, say fearful, Well, how many of you know you're not really supposed to fear the Lord? No, Paul said, I understand my fearful responsibility to the Lord. Therefore, we work hard to persuade others. You know why Paul won souls? Because he understood his fearful responsibility to the Lord. He understood one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to be given according to the good and the evil that I've done. You know what Paul had? He had the fear of God. He loved God. He wasn't, he wasn't afraid of the resurrection, but he lived with this healthy understanding that I don't get to cross God and it be okay. I don't get to do whatever the heck that I want and that the Lord just gives me a pat on the butt and says, that's okay, you gave it your best shot. He says, no, I understand. I have a fearful responsibility to the Lord. So therefore, because of this fearful responsibility, we work hard to persuade others. Amen. I want to tell you, you need to live for eternity in this room. Why should I go after Jesus with everything that I have in me? Because you're going to stand before him one day and give an account for what you did in this earthly body. Hallelujah. If you get a hold of that, that will drive you when you don't feel like it. That'll push you on the days that you say, man, I woke up and my hair just didn't just look right today. So I guess I'm just not going to do nothing. No, you'll continue day in, day out, whether it's raining, whether it's sunshine, whether it's snowing, doesn't matter. You'll continue to serve the Lord because you understand we have a fearful responsibility to the Lord. You know, you always hear stuff like this. It's not about, have you ever heard this? It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. Amen. No, actually it is a little bit about what we do. It's actually about what we do with what he did. Come on, somebody. It's not about, it doesn't matter what I do because it's not about what I do. It's about what he did. No, it's actually about what you do with what he did. Think about the three servants, he gave talents. He gave it to them and he said, go multiply this while I'm gone. The servants had a responsibility to take what the master had given them and put it to work and multiply it. And in fact, the only servant that was condemned was the one that did nothing with what they were given. So it's about what he did, but it's also about what we do with what he did. Y'all, I'm telling you, who's born again in this room? Let me tell you, what are you doing with the message of the gospel day in and day out? We've received the Galatians chapter 3, the same blessing pronounced on Abraham. What are you doing with the blessing of the Lord? We've been given all authority, Luke 10, 19, over the enemy. Ephesians chapter 1, we've been seated far above any spiritual ruler, principality, authority in this earth and in the unseen world. What are you doing with the authority of the name of Jesus? The Bible says what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what's known in the scripture as the key of David. Where you open any door, and when you open the door, no man will be able to shut it. And when you shut a door, no man will be able to open. The name of Jesus is the key of David. That's why he said you can ask anything using my name, and the Father will give it to you because you ask using my name. What are you you doing with it? What am I doing with it? Say fearful responsibility. Fearful responsibility. Put, it Put it to work. Revelation 2. So again, he said, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. And I know that you don't tolerate evil people. That was something Jesus commended. We live in a time, especially a church time, where you're just told that you're supposed to put up with anything and everything. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Apparently, the Ephesian church, they didn't tolerate evil people, right? They didn't put up with it. They weren't playing games with it. They weren't sugarcoating it. They weren't afraid to call it out. They weren't afraid to walk in truth. They weren't afraid to walk in righteousness. They didn't tolerate it whatsoever. Did Jesus come to them and say, you know what, I I have this against you, that you should have tolerated those things and shown more love to evil people? No, he said, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Good job. Good job. Because you know what? People are going to stand before the Lord and see that he is loving, he's full of grace, he's full of mercy, but they're going to see him face to face and realize that the true Jesus doesn't tolerate evil people either. Are you all with me here? Let me ask this question. How many Christians would, would be commended for that? How many Christians could the Lord actually look at you and say, you don't tolerate evil people? Praise God. You know what, son? I'm proud of you. Well done. You don't tolerate evil people. My daughter, I'm proud of you because you don't tolerate evil people. How many, how many Christians could the Lord actually say that to today? Probably not very many. You know why? Because the devil's put a lie in the church that we're supposed to put up with anything and everything and tolerate anything and everything, and it's just simply not true. Y'all with me? Here's another thing. Did he say you don't tolerate evil actions? Is that what he said did he use the word actions or did he use the word people he used the word people say people so this is my point with that stop being indifferent and stop being a coward and don't be afraid to call a demon a demon don't shout me down say amen Well, you know, you don't tolerate evil actions. No, he didn't say actions. He said people. Because here's the reality that you need to understand. There are sheep and there are wolves. There are shepherds and there are false prophets. And not only does Jesus commend you to identify them and not tolerate them and, and call it for what it is, he actually expects you to be able to do so. So don't fall into this trap That you're not righteous and that you're not holy and that God's not pleased with you because you call a demon a demon. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There's a few things as a Christian that we are not to tolerate. Number one, write this down you cannot be a Christian and tolerate sin. You cannot be a Christian and tolerate sin. Some of these verses you're familiar with, you say, well, Pastor John, you've preached this, these verses several times. Well, get ready, because I'm about to mention them again. Just a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 5, and there's some new people in here tonight. Maybe you've never heard this. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Pastor John, I've heard you preach this. Well, well, good. Maybe tonight ain't about you then. Maybe you go get fed by the Lord and you come to church and you help me help get some of these new people along a little bit. Hallelujah. When I wrote to you before, Paul said, I told you you are not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, is abusive, or is a drunkard, cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Look what Paul says, it isn't your responsibility to judge those on the, uh, to judge those. Sorry, it isn't your responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility. Say my responsibility. Really, because you hear a bunch of stupid stuff like the only scripture anybody knows in 2022 is don't judge. Right, and they don't even actually quote the whole thing. They just quote, doesn't the Bible say, quote, don't judge? And then they'll also say, well, how, well, you know what, you can't say anything because God is my judge. Really, because Paul is telling the Ephesian church, he didn't say God would judge those inside the church. He said, it's your responsibility. Say my responsibility. That means that it's not God's church to hold a standard of holiness in the body of Christ. It's the church's job to hold up a standard of holiness in the body of Christ. A standard of righteousness in the body of Christ. It's, it's the church's job to, to hold up the truth and stand on the word of God. It's not God's job to do that. He said, it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. I'm going to tell you something in this generation that maybe you've never heard before. But when you claim that name, there is an expectation now for your life. When you claim the name of Jesus, you put yourself into a different category. I actually heard a brother, Tiff Shuttlesworth, he was talking about ministers. We live in the day and age where everyone's a minister and everyone's a ministry, right? You ain't got nothing, you don't have anything. God's never given you anything, but yet you're a Facebook prophet. You know what I'm talking about? And he said, brother, I'm going to tell you this out of love, but you better be careful because the moment that you claim that you are a minister, you automatically put yourself in the category of double judgment before the Lord. That is not some light thing to run around and say, yeah, you know, Me and my wife are actually rebellious and we can't sit underneath a pastor and we can't get in line with anybody, what anybody else is doing. So we just live in our house and we stay in our basement and we go out and do some outreaches in the park and we have our own ministry. And really they have a rebellious spirit and you're subject to double judgment. Hallelujah. Because when you're a minister of the Lord, God brings people underneath you. You have a voice in people's lives. So if you screw up, you're not only screwing up your life, you're screwing up other people's lives. You're leading other people's kids to hell by lying to them. When you claim that name and people trust what you say, so you're double accountable. You cannot be a Christian. He said... God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Hallelujah. One thing Christians cannot tolerate, sin. Say sin. Sin. Say sin in my life. Sin life. Sin Sin in general. We've got to wage war against sin. And I'm telling you right now that there is. I am not up here to condemn anybody to hell. I'm not up here, if you're in this room and you're saying, I've never known that, John, and you know what, I've struggled. Thank God I'm going to give you a solution in a moment that will break the power of sin in your life. But I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want anybody coming to this church and receiving a watered-down gospel that's not the truth. Because there is a cost to following Jesus, and the cost is absolutely everything, according to Luke chapter 14. There is a, well, it's just free. All I got to do is pray that prayer. Yes, that's all you have to do is, is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But when you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead, what you're saying is he has lordship over my life and he is resurrected and now it's no longer I who live, but I live my life full of resurrection power to be about my father's business on the earth. Everything. Say everything. You know, we got to put those two things together. Jesus said you must forsake even your own father and mother, your brother and sister, your friends, even your own family. He said, you think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword dividing households against each other in a house that will be two for me and one against and one for me and two against. What is he saying? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is against you. You must stand with God and realize that if God be for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Come on, somebody. you got to be willing to forsake everything, anything, and all things to follow Jesus. Jesus, you have every part of my life. Everybody shouts amen, Amen. but there's only, but I'm going to tell you, there's only a handful of people that are winning souls. How can Jesus have every part of our life when we don't even listen to him? Because the Spirit of God is after the harvest. Are y'all with me? Man, I'm telling you, I'm not preaching this message so that we just go back home and get in lethargy and turn on the Dallas Cowboys and live a life full of me, myself, and I. God is raising up people in this hour that truly lay everything down to follow Jesus. Everything. Say everything. I hope that your heart gets a hold of that. Everything. I'm telling you, there is no ceiling for the person that will surrender everything to the Lord. Because Jesus also promised in Mark chapter 10, whatever you give up for the gospel, you will be rewarded now in this time a hundred times whatever it is that you give up. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. You know, think about these people in the New Testament. They sold everything that they had and gave their money to the poor. Following Jesus wasn't praying a prayer. Following Jesus like the rich young ruler. You're rich, go sell your house, go sell your car, go sell your clothes, and don't keep any of the money, give it all away. Every bit of it away and then come follow me. That was the cost of following Jesus. What happened when he called Peter? Peter left his wife. Peter left his father. Peter left the two boatloads full of fish that were sitting there. He left his business. He left his boats. He left everything and he followed Jesus because there's only ever been one price, one cost, and it's everything. People never, they're so resistant to the spirit because they've never got to that point. Lord, you have my everything. Lord, I'll yield to you completely. Whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. What you tell me to say, I'll say. What you tell me to do, I'll do. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how foolish people think that I look. If you'll come to that point in your life, I'm telling you, your life will be like a sacrifice laid out on the altar, and the fire of God will come and consume your life that is the sacrifice sacrifice. Pastor John, how come I haven't caught the fire? Because you haven't surrendered. Just a simple fact, you haven't surrendered everything to him. You haven't got hungry. You haven't got desperate enough. People think America's safe. I'm going to tell you right now, God will not keep America prosperous to keep the Christian comfortable. Because when you read that Bible, we prosper in famine. Come on, somebody. Isaac sowed in the year of famine and reaped a hundred times. People think that God's going to keep the economy booming the gas price is low, the groceries cheap, everything comfortable, everything at the microwavable, everything at the reach of our hand in the United States of America, just so that the Christians I'm not saying the Christians won't be preserved, they'll be preserved. The true remnant, the people that have faith in the Word of God will thrive no matter what the devil does, no matter who the president is, will thrive. No matter if it's the COVID-19 or the monkey pox or the donkey pox, it doesn't matter. We'll thrive no matter what because we're hooked into a whole other economy. But people think that this is just all going to stay comfortable. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not. It's not. If you study Bible prophecy, the United States of America is not mentioned anywhere in Bible prophecy. Think about that. Russia is specifically mentioned. China is specifically mentioned in Bible prophecy. North African countries, Europe, the Middle East, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, they're specifically mentioned in Bible prophecy. The United States, the number one world power of this age, is not mentioned anywhere in Bible prophecy. Was God messed up and flawed when he wrote that? No, obviously that tells you. At some point, whether it's before the church is raptured or after the church, the United States will be consumed by another nation. You cannot murder 63 million babies and think that we're just going to stay comfortable. Come on. There is a price for sin, and the wages of sin is death. But I'm going to tell you what will happen is as things get darker, the light will shine brighter. Amen. Some of y'all got some droopy faces. He's like, that don't sound too fun to me. Then you need to get in the word of God. You need to get so full of the word of God because these words, this this word is our armor and our protection. Hallelujah. The Bible declares you will always be the head and never the tail. You'll always be on top and never below. Say always. Always. When you're a true believer walking in the covenant of God, it doesn't matter if you're in the Middle East, doesn't matter if you're in China, doesn't matter if you're in Africa, doesn't matter if you're in a backslidden United States of America, you will prosper because your life is built on the word of God. People are about to figure out that American Christianity doesn't work. The largest churches in the world, right now they're in Africa. Bishop David Oedepo's church houses a million people, physical, not online campus, in one location every single Sunday. I'm gonna tell you something, they're not the seeker sensitive. Three worship songs with the click track with the laser lights and a, and a little screen and a, a, a little cute message. They don't do stuff. They are the fire of God, the word of God. They preach, they teach, they cast out devils. They do book of Acts Christianity because I'm going to tell you why they don't do the American junk. I want to use another word, but I won't because we're in church. Because it doesn't work. Try taking that model to, to over there to Africa. They'll laugh you out of the place because it doesn't work. Work. It's just a little facade that's structured and built on the American economy. The Word's the only thing that works. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a Christian that can thrive anywhere. I want to learn a gospel and a message from the Lord that you could preach on every continent of the world and it'll produce no matter where you're at. Come on, I want to get a word inside of my spirit that we could take it up to the, to the Eskimos in Alaska and it will work and bring breakthrough there because it's the Word of God. The Word of God will work if you're a man or if you're a woman, if you're young, if you're old, if you're black, if you're white. It doesn't matter. The Word doesn't need any of those things. The Word works because it's the Word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Whew, hallelujah. Say, you cannot tolerate. John, why are you preaching so like this? Because I don't tolerate it. You may not agree with me, but I'm going to tell you one thing. You know where I stand. At least if you're a man, I hope you can appreciate that. Because <laughs> there's no secret, like, whether you like me or you absolutely hate me, ask, ask the community. You know, they, they know. Whether they like me or not, they know where I stand on things. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I feel like God's trying to get a little bit more of that in the world. A little bit less politician and a little bit more truth. Yeah. Write this down. Number two, you cannot be a Christian and have a loose attitude towards the Bible. You cannot be a Christian and have a loose attitude towards the Bible. Second Thessalonians 3:14. Paul wrote this to the Church of Thessalonica. He said, he wrote this letter which is our first and second Thessalonians, and he said, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. So Paul, what they would do is write these letters, just like I'm standing up right now and I'm reading from the word of God. Paul would say, read it out to everyone and take note of those that refuse to obey it. Take note of those that hear it and then think, Ah, I don't need that. Now, you know what? I know that that's what, what the word says. I know that that's what that preacher's saying. But I'm going to continue kind of doing my own thing. Paul says, take note of who does that and stay away from them so that they will be ashamed. I've told you this before, but, you know, how many of you heard, all you've ever heard in church is you don't need to be ashamed. Hallelujah. Some, you, some of you, somebody's made you feel ashamed in your life. Well, Paul said you actually should stay away from them so that they are ashamed. Y'all, I'm, I'm just trying to present to you maybe another side of the Bible you've never seen before. I'm telling you right now, if you hear those words coming out of my mouth, and you go, uh, I don't want to hear that, I don't want anything to do with that, you have a problem with false doctrine. And you better make sure that you know the true Jesus Christ. You know why Paul would say so that maybe they do feel ashamed? Because Paul wasn't a liar. He wasn't trying to gain a following and influence people. He didn't want people to go to hell that thought they were saved, but they weren't, and they go to hell. Because Jesus said, if the light that you think that you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Paul didn't want to lie to anyone. He didn't want to tell any Christian, oh, you know what, we're sitting here reading the Word of God to you, and you just could care less about it, but that's okay, my friend, you're going to heaven anyways. He said, no, stay away from them so that they'll get the reality that there is only one way to do this, and until you come to terms in your heart that I am willing and ready to submit to God's way, there is no other way to heaven. There is one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Say, The way. V is singular, it's not plural. There's not multiple different ways. There's not multiple different truths. Come on somebody. Well, how many of you know, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. There's one truth. Not only the truth is Jesus, but I'm telling you, doctrinally in the American church, well, we're Baptists. We don't believe that. You know what? Jesus backs his word with fire and with power. These miraculous signs will accompany those that believe. If there has never in your ministry been a, de- a devil cast out, if there has never been a move of the power of God, in anything that you've ever said that has come behind and back the words that you're preaching, then I'm telling you right now, it's not this word because God backs this word with power. Are you all with me? Let's stop fiddling around because we're afraid to say the truth. The truth is the truth. There is no Christianity where you reject the Holy Ghost. There is no other church than the model of church in the New Testament. Well, we don't like speaking in tongues in this church. Really, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Well, we just really don't do that. Then you don't practice or believe the Bible. You're more concerned about the five people that will leave because you do it than you are with what the Word of God says. Paul said, if if my ambition was to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I'm going to tell you, if you're serving Christ, at some point you're going to tick somebody off if you're doing it right. If you ain't ever made no one mad, if there ain't ever been a religious devil come against you, I'm telling you right now, Either you're not doing something right or you're just keeping your mouth completely shut and the devil doesn't even know you exist. I'm not trying to be harsh tonight. I really am not. I swear I'm not. Like none of that is in my notes. None of it. But he says, don't think of them as enemies but warn them as you would a brother or sister. So even... Take note of those that refuse to obey what's written in this word and stay away from them. Paul doesn't say, go around acting like you're more holy than thou. I'm better than you. No, he said, just don't lie to them. You know, something clearly in the word of God. Well, John, you know, I'm just not really sure about that. I've had people tell me. Things like, I, I see what's clearly in the scripture. It's not that I don't believe it, it's that I'm just not ready for that. I would be a liar than to look at them and say, Well, that's okay. Amen. God sees your heart, anyways. That's a lie. Well, praise God, my friend. God loves you. He wants you to repent and be saved. But until you come to terms with that right there, things are not good between you and God. Come on, somebody. It's the truth. I'm about to pray for some people, but I want you to see this. You can't be a Christian and continue in fellowship with the world. Bible says in James 4, 4 through 10, you adulterers, you know, say adultery. Adultery is when you're married to someone and you cheat on your spouse with another person. So apparently God correlates this to adultery, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's all that we are building right now. is places that are just trying to appease and be best friends with the spirit of this world. Why are Christians running around like they're the dorky kid in high school trying to get approved of by the popular crowd? We just want the city council to like us. If they like you, praise God, but let them like you for the right reason. And if they hate you, let them hate the Jesus that's on the inside of you. Let them hate the truth that's on the inside of you. People hate me because I I go nuts. I'm like, look. Huntington Red Devils, that's coming down in Jesus' name. How have you been a pastor here for 50 years and never said, "Oh well, that's just the way that it is. I'm not call- My kid will never go to that school. If your kid's in that school, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling me, my kid will never claim that. I'll never. Red Devils, No! You know, it's like, John, you seem like you're being a little crazy. Really? Because the Bible says the power of death and life is in the tongue. And that those who love it will eat the fruit of it. You will have what you say, you will have what you claim. If you call yourself a red devil, you know, it's like, why have my kids acting so bad? Well, maybe because they're called a red devil 15 times a week. A devil. Say a devil. I'm not saying shut it down and burn it down. I'm saying, though, there's, there's got to be, I've had so much resistance. You're some outsider trying to come in and mess with the way things have always been. Yeah, because it's not right. <laughs> What's wrong with the Huntington Red Warriors? Red Conquerors? The Huntington Knights? I don't know, something, anything. The Huntington, my wife says, let's call them the Huntington Holy Ghosts. I said, no, I, don't, I don't think that's going to pass. but <laughs> That's what she always says every time. I'm like, the Huntington Warriors. She's like, the Huntington Holy Ghosts. <laughs> Our kids will come out on the field speaking in tongues. <laughs> by the football team. <laughs> the sinner will get down to hike, and he'll just fire, and the the guy across from him will fall out the <laughs> running back, go right through. But he says, "If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God." Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Paul's saying. James is saying. I'm sorry. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Telling y'all Man, why do I feel so far from God? I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But as long as you sit back and think that God's got something to prove for you, to you, you're going to miss him your whole life. You've got to get hungry. You've got to take that first step. I'm telling you, if you're in this room, and you'd even say, Tonight, John, I'm not right with God, but I want to take that first step. I want to get saved. I want to be right with God when I leave this room. Come close to God, and you will see the living God come close to you tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Say repentance. You know, I don't understand this doctrine coming out. There's people preaching now that you don't have to repent, and in fact, when you repent, there is, it's actually offensive to God when you repen- when you repent. You're spitting in the face of Jesus Christ. Because his blood already paid for it. It already paid for the sin that you've repented of, and it paid for the sin that you didn't repent of. Well, I guess Apostle Peter had a major problem when the Holy Ghost was poured out, and he preached to 5,000 people. Was it five or three? Three or five. 3,000 people. And they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. Say, repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you shall receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Say repent. I'm going to tell you something that we have to come to the point where we hate, we hate, we hate the things that we used to do. I told you guys this Sunday, Christians don't sin because they have to. Christians sin because they want to. Because according to Romans chapter 6, the power of sin has been broken off of our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That means we no longer have to live according to its dictates. That means that there is no power over your life that makes you go back to drugs. There's no power over your life that forces you to go back to pornography. There is no power in your life that forces you to have unforgiveness and hate somebody. There is no power over your life that outside of your control makes you do that. No, we sin. If we sin, it's because we want to, not because we have to. Why can't people get free? Well, Brother John, I prayed that prayer. I'm covered by the blood, but I can't get I can't get free from pornography. No, you can. You're just not done playing with that devil yet. The moment you get done playing with that demon, you'll get free from it. Come on, somebody. He says, Purify your hearts. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. What is that talking about? Humbling yourself. Lord, I'm so sorry that I was a drug addict. Lord, I'm so sorry for the things that I've done. I'm so sorry for the people that I've I've used and abused and cheated and lied to. I'm going to tell you, to those who much has been forgiven, much love abounds. Amen. A revelation of what God's forgiven you of. When you get a weight of sin and you begin to hate it, then you can cry out to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, it's not cheap grace. It ain't cheap Because you're saying, Father, how how could I have done those things, and yet you showed me grace and mercy and love and kindness? That's what Paul said in in Romans chapter 6. Well, then, since God has shown us such marvelous grace, should we continue sinning? Absolutely not. How could you, he said. John, you may say tonight, John, this seems like legalism in the flesh that you're just trying to tell us all to just live holy, to be holy, to be these religious, legalistic people. This is where I want to pray for you. If God's burning on your heart tonight, get ready. No, say no. I'm not talking about legalism, no. But this is why you need the fire and power of the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 13 Talking about sin, it says, For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power, say power, power is the Greek word dunamis, through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. John, how can I be free? How can I be free from sin? I just—I heard what you said, we're not to tolerate sin. There cannot be sin in my life. There can't be sin in the church. I can't have a low regard for the word. I can't have fellowship with the world. How do I do that? By the power of the Holy Ghost. This is why you need fire and power. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3. It says this, by his divine power, say power. By his power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So how do we live a godly life? Say power. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Say power one more time. Where do we get this power? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. Once while he was eating with them, he commanded, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say, baptized with the Holy Spirit. What Jesus was doing was painting a picture. When you're water baptized, and I know the Catholics, they may flick a little bit of water on you. That's not the biblical way to baptize someone. The biblical way to baptize someone is completely submerged. Amen. So God said, the way you were baptized in water is the way that I'm going to baptize you with my spirit. That means I ain't going to give you a little flick. I ain't going to give you a little squirt bottle. No, I'm going to pour it out on you, and from head to toe, from this side of your arm to that side of your arm, every square inch of your body, you shall be saturated and covered by the power with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Say power. Power. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power. Say power. Power. When do you get this power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power is not only for doing miracles. Power is not only for prophesying. Power is also for putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to tell you something that when you get this power, something changes on the inside of you. Say fire. John prophesied of Jesus saying that he would baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Say fire. The fire is the refining presence of God. the Old Covenant, God appeared to Moses by a flame in a bush, by fire. Say fire. God led them by a pillar of fire during the night. God consumed the, mount, the mountain with a, with a pillar of fire. The Bible says that his eyes, Jesus' eyes in the, in the book of Revelation, they're like flames of fire. When you look into his eyes, you're not going to see just blue or brown or hazel. They're going to look like no other man's eyes that you've ever seen. And it's the holy, pure, tangible presence of God. What was John talking about? You'll be baptized with fire. There will be this refinement that comes on your life, I'm telling you, where it will change you from the inside out. You won't need a 12-step program to get free from drugs. It'll change you where you won't want to do drugs anymore. Man, y'all need to shout better than I'm preaching. this This is great. I want you to say fire. Everything changes when you get the fire of the Holy Ghost. I always tell our kids this. There's a passage in the Old Covenant where God told a man, he said, the Spirit, my Spirit will come upon you and you will be made into a new man. I always tell our kids this. I say, listen, while you're right now, stop thinking about college. Stop thinking about who you're going to marry. Stop thinking about your job in the future. Stop thinking about life five years from now, ten years from now. There's one thing I want you to think about. There's one thing I want you to press into. It's the fire of the Holy Ghost. Because if you'll get that fire, everything about you will change. Well, I thought I wanted to go to this career. Yeah, get the fire of the Holy Ghost. And if you still want to do that, praise God. But chances are, any decision that we make in the flesh, it will completely change when we get that fire. So it's like one thing push into the fire. That's why we're taking our kids. You're like, John, we just got back from youth camp, taking them to another place in Dallas for another conference. Yes, I am. Why? The fire, say the fire. Because these kids are going to get full of the fire of God. Everything will change about them. And then they'll be able to live the rest of their life from that place of being transformed, anointed, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Say power. When the power of God comes upon you, you'll be a bold witness. Boldness comes. I'm going to tell you something right now. I love praying for people. I love when you fall out on the ground and you're experiencing God, but I'm telling you this, something's got to click when you get off that ground where a boldness comes on your life, a boldness to preach the gospel and be a witness. Say power. There's got to be a supernatural work that's done. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.